It's a great occasion, dedication Sundays like this, and we've already had two at the town centres, two here. In fact, actually, there was one at the town centre because one of the children was not well. So, um, and then there's another four uh, in the second meeting down at the ten- town centre. So, um, I realise on a Sunday like this, there will be uh, friends and families and, and people who've got all sorts of church experience. I mean, some of you will do this sort of stuff week in, week out, and for others, you'll be totally new to this. And um, if that is you, thank you so much. I really, really, we do appreciate you coming. We do understand. And uh, if your friends and family here are just a double welcome, thank you so much for coming today. Please, Let me just say this, don't underestimate what it means, your support for the families here. Don't ever underestimate it, it's a big deal for them, it really is. So my hope is that every one of us will have something that is helpful for them today. And when you speak on occasion like this, you're thinking, all right, what topic have we got? Um, Parenting skills, um, seasons of childhood, children are a gift from God, Uh, by the way they are. And uh, even when you're exhausted uh, and they haven't quite got the hang of your sleeping times, they are still a gift from God. They haven't got the pattern of that. Don't worry about it. Well, actually, you might have to worry about it. I don't know how you do it. So here's our experience. Um, My wife and I had three children. Uh, We had an older daughter and then we had twin boys. So the twins came along and... With the twin boys, uh, we had what's classified as headbangers. This is nothing to do with music, just in case you, that's where you are. Nothing to do with music whatsoever. They were headbangers. So uh, a headbanger is this, that uh, they're in their cot, and they, in the middle of the night, they kneel on the cot, and they grab the frame of the cot, and they headbutt the cot. And do it again. And they do it again, and again, and again. And we had two who both thought this was a good idea. So uh, it, was, it was incredibly disruptive. This was every night. One of our boys, who shall be nameless, Matthew, he, uh, he, had, he had a lump on his head the size of an egg. And uh, we, look, we went to the doctors and the doctor was incredibly enlightening. He said, oh wow, you've got headbangers. That was it. Well, thank you. I mean, we already knew we had headbangers, but I mean, there is an official title, headbangers. So we had headbangers, and um, we were convinced that the social services were going to come knocking on our door. Some well-meaning person somewhere noticing the egg on the forehead of Matthew. And um, so, listen, they are a gift from God. Actually, with the social services, it might have given us a good night's sleep if they'd done that. But, you know, it, I mean, I didn't want to go down that line, of course. But they are a good gift to God, and sometimes you have to keep telling yourself they are a gift to God and keep convincing yourself. So I don't know if you're a youngster in the toddler age. I, I, in fact, I don't even know when does the toddler age end. But I noticed this on the internet the other week, and these are toddler rules just in case you didn't know, and you're not there yet, they are coming. These are toddler rules. If it's mine, it's mine. If it's yours, it's mine. If I like it, it's mine. 
If I can take it from you, it's mine. If I'm playing with something, all of the pieces are mine. If I think it is mine, it's mine. If I saw it first, it's mine. If I had it then, put it down, it is still mine. If you had it, then you put it down, it's now mine. And if it looks like the one I've got at home, it is mine. If it is broken, it's yours. (laughs) Toddler rules. Well, let's have a look at... uh, Luke chapter 18, and this is a moment where, uh, where Jesus, this is Jesus' response to children. It's very important that we look at this. Uh, Luke 18, verses 15 to 17. I hope the words will come up on screen for you. And if you have a Bible, it's good to always find out where Luke is. All right, Luke 18, verse 15 to 17. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. And when the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. that's That's a challenging word. There's nothing complicated here. In this text, there's nothing in this passage, nothing complicated. You have just done what they were doing then, bringing children to Jesus. The kingdom of God, Jesus says, belongs to such as these. Jesus constantly attracted crowds. You, know, you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, a crowd after crowd after crowd. And on this occasion, they're bringing babies to him. Don't, please, don't ever think for one minute that this is a photo opportunity as if Jesus is some sort of politician. It doesn't work in that culture whatsoever. I can assure you that children were not so highly regarded that you go and stick a child in some well-known person's arms. They just were not highly regarded. Uh, Actually, in the Jews they were, but in many cultures they weren't. In many cultures, children were bottom of the pile. In many cultures, children were disposable. Disposable. Whereas on the whole, we see children as valuable and precious. They're bringing children to him. They're doing this because Jesus has such words of power and such words of life. They don't want their children to miss out. The disciples, on the other hand, have a different perspective altogether. They're acting like bouncers at a nightclub. They ain't coming in. You know, and uh, they, whatever they are, they haven't got the right ticket. They are not coming in. That Jesus, actually, he rebukes his disciples. He tells them, don't you hinder these little ones. And I thought, well, what obstacles can we put in the way of children coming to Jesus. I wonder what obstacles we can do that. So here's the first one. And it's, don't think that Jesus is too important for children. Don't think it. I mean, he's saying, let them come. He says, don't hinder them from coming to me. Let them come. Now, on one occasion, Jesus said these words. He said, "Um, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. 
Now the Bible says that God is first and foremost Father. Now we might think him differently. So an interesting view as to what, how people see God. And even amongst Christians and church people, you know, they, some see him as creator. Some see God as ruler. Ruler over all the galaxies, or this world at least, or almighty. But when Jesus prays in John chapter 17, he says, Father, you love me before the creation of the world. God has always been Father. Before he ever created, before he ever ruled, before anything else, he is a loving Father. So you see, how we see God affects how we bring our children to Jesus and how we bring ourselves to Jesus. And let's be really biblical here. When you pray, Jesus says, teaching on prayer, he says, say, what does he say? Our Father. He says, when you pray, say our Father. You know, strangely, actually, in this culture, the prevailing view is this, that the world is, and humanity is here by accident. Just happened by chance. Something random. Therefore, there's no ultimate design. Therefore, there is no ultimate purpose because it's just random. It's an accident. However sentimental we are about children, we're being exactly that, sentimental. That would be the prevailing view. And however we are, if children are concerned, we're just being sentimental. Why? Because they're just biology. DNA. You know, you follow, the, you think, follow your thinking through. But you see, deep down, it doesn't work. It really doesn't work. I can't tell you the number of mums and dads who come with their child and their, their newborn child, and they've brought them in, and they're just thrilled with their newborn child. And they said, you know what? It's just a miracle. They use words like this. It's just a miracle. Whether people come to church or not, I hear them using the same phraseology. It's just a miracle. This little one in my hands, it's just a miracle. You know, there's something sacred and something eternal as you hold a little child in your hands. If it's just biology, tell me this. Why do we react when we see such atrocities towards children? Why do we do that? It's just DNA. Just biology. You see, this episode here tells us what God is like. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What is he like? He's like a father. He loves children. He says, don't you stop them coming to me. It's, and, and fatherness, it's not an afterthought. You can't, if in, in the Bible, you won't find it as an afterthought. It's who he is all the way through. God is father. You get a stick of rock, you get it Brighton, and it's got Brighton on it. And then you cut it halfway down, it's got Brighton on it. And then you cut it two-thirds way down, it's got Brighton on it. Our God is father all the way through and through. Now, I'm aware of this, that the word father can conjure up dark images for some. I get that. But God is not, the fa- is not father because he copies earthly fathers. It's not that way around. He's not some pumped up version of your dad. He's, he's always been father. It's the other way around. Human fathers are supposed to reflect him. If you look in the Gospels, you see Jesus' life. 
And you see what Jesus is like and how he is with the marginalized. You know, they got this woman at the well in John chapter 3, and she comes to, and, and, and she comes at a time when nobody else comes. Nobody else comes. Why? Because she's ostracized from her society. They don't want her, they don't want to be mixing with her. Jesus says, You've had five husbands, and the man you're living with is not your husband. And they're talking about all sorts of things, including water. And, um, but he dialogues and sits with her and talks with her. And at the end of it, she goes away. She goes back to town and she says, come and meet a man who told me everything I ever knew. I thought, wow, that's a big line. How did she received dignity and honor from Jesus. You want to know what the Father is like? You just look at Jesus. Jesus goes to a wedding. Goes to this wedding. My goodness, this wedding. Boy, can they, they do weddings. But in the Middle East, the worst thing you can do is run out of food and drink. You just can't, cannot do that. It says so much about you if you do that. It's a shame. And... And they come to Jesus and say, wine's out. Wine is out. So he says, I tell you what, just give you a bottle or two, you know. He doesn't. He gets them loaded, absolutely loaded with wine. And it's not Van Ordener either. They taste the wine and go, my goodness, you left the best to last. This, This is what God is like. Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Let him come. Please let him come. Don't ever think... Don't ever think that Jesus is too important for children. Not true. Second, and, and it's, it sounds the same, but it's different. Don't think that children are too small or too insignificant for Jesus. You know, these disciples had no expectation of faith for these children whatsoever. Get out. What are they doing here? <laughs> but Jesus does the opposite. He commends the parents. He commends their faith. Parents, I'm going to say, you know, pray for your children. Jesus commends your faith. Pray for your children. You, for anyone here who works with children, be it in the church or outside of the church, Jesus just commends you for working with children and seeing their significance. Just commends you. If you're in the church, you know, we have over 100 children coming on a Sunday morning at both sites. If you work with them, Jesus commends your faith. He commends your time. commends your love. We have a Little Stars, which is a, a parent-toddler morning on Tuesdays and Fridays down in the town center. And in the auditorium, it used to be just in a small room. In the auditorium, it's all opened up. Why? Because the place is teeming with children. And the foyer is like a pram or buggy car park. Pram's my age, I get it. Okay, so, like a buggy car park. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's teeming with children. Or you work with the youth and the, and the things they do on a Friday night for youth and, and other events where there are other evenings. If you're involved with that, hey, thank you. And I, I don't mean that just as a you know, slight. It's, it's huge what you do. Jesus commends you for it. He loves what you do with the children. He's interested in the next generation. Now, stay with me a moment if you can, because I just want to take a bit of um, Israel's history, which you'll find in the Old Testament. And Israel was a, a people that were under slavery, and they experienced incredible hardship from the Egyptians. And God brings them out. He, d- he delivers them from this oppressive, oppressive regime. And as he brings them out, he uses a man called Moses. He brings them out and he gives them ten commandments. These commandments are a framework 
of what community under the reign of God should look like. Now, here's a problem. If, if you see it as rules, and we do, that's the problem. It's seen as God's rules, Ten Commandments, God's rules. It's seen the point of view that if you obey them, God will be pleased with you. It was never meant that way. You know, if you follow Jesus and you want to put him first, then he'll write his law in your hearts. And you, you will want to do this stuff. You won't think, oh, I can't do that, I can't do that. You'll want to do that. You'll want to live his way. It's, it's the way he does it. He works from the inside out, not the other way around. Now, he, he tells them these commandments, and you'll find them in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Then in the following chapter, in chapter 6, God says this. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. That's important for you to take on, parents. And then in Deuteronomy 4, this is not a one-off, by the way. God tells the Israelites who'd seen amazing wonders and miracles. And he says this, do not forget the things your eyes have seen. Or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to your children's children. In other words, you just pass it on to the next generation. I am interested. God says, I am interested in the next generation. Parents, don't you be passive about your faith. Don't back off. It's not a secondary thing, this. Don't assume your children know your story. Tell them your story. Tell them the things that God has done. Tell them the things that God has taught you. Teach your children. Bring them up in an understanding of being on an adventure with God. Let them know. Please, let them know. (laughs) It's really important you do that. Britain's relay team has a, uh, a real knack of dropping the bat. And I, um, it's, it's just, I don't wonder if you can get that picture up. Olu, can we do that, that picture of dropping the bat? And it, it, it is brilliant. Anyway, what you'll find, there you you're not meant to have the baton in the air. You do realize this. I mean, I really like athletics, but you are not meant to have the baton in the air. That's not how it works. You don't throw it, you pass it. If Britain has, it in, <laughs> it has a history of dropping the baton or not being there when the baton should be there. And it's just got a history of this. Don't let it be your history. Parents, don't let it be your history. Let them come to me. Tell them your story. You've got a story, tell it to them. Give them the best opportunities, create great environments, encourage good friendships, pass it on. Israel had great leaders, Moses was one of them, and then after Moses died, a man called Joshua picked up the tab of leadership, and, and then he died. And in Judges chapter 2, verse 10, it records this. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, Another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he'd done for them. I tell you, that was quick. One generation, gone. Don't let it happen to you. Parents, don't you be lazy about your faith. Get on the ball. Be real with your children. Pray with your children. Read the Bible with your children. 
This is not easy, can I just say this? Because you have to find a way that it works, especially if they're hyperactive or they're headbangers and then become hyperactive. You know, you have to find a way that works. It's really important you do that. But model the gospel. Don't be like this generation here in Judges 2. They drop the baton. Show them that your faith is important. Be a taxi service. You are anyway. So be a good one. Get them to children's events and youth events. Show them what it is to be in the church, not just at the church. That's a key. In the church, not just on the edge of the church. That won't work. You know, what you model, they'll pick up. That's the way it is. Model the importance of God's community. Give them every opportunity that they can, so they can experience God's presence for themselves. We didn't make Christians today. We dedicated them. They'll come to their own decisions. Give them the best environment in which to do that. Lastly, children represent something of the kingdom of God. So Jesus says to the disciples, the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. You know, when they're babies like this, they don't bargain or negotiate. I mean, they might yell and scream, but whatever. that may be part of it. But, but they don't, they're, they're not born with these negotiating skills. That comes a little bit later, not long. Um, and, but the whole arrangement revolves around their need and the parents' willingness to provide for the need. If you want to enter the kingdom of God, take a note. This is how you come. You come dependent, and you come needy, and it's a relationship that's based on God's terms, not us. So we can't say, I'm going to have Jesus and. doesn't work. The gospel is Jesus. You've got to, not and. Not but. Not and if he will. It's not that. It's lock, stock, and barrel on his terms. January the 13th, 1982, Air Florida Jet 727 plunged into the Potomac River, Washington, D.C. It's the accumulation of ice on the wings. And they hadn't defrosted the wings. And it took off, and it got a few, few hundred feet, and then it couldn't hold it any longer. It hit the 14th bridge, went into the river, and you could see the tail of the plane. And one guy was visible in the water. I mean, it was a scene that was devastating. And it was so difficult to get there, too. And this guy was visible, accessible, and he seemed alert. So the rescue helicopter dropped a harness to him. But when they winched him up, someone else was in it. So they dropped it down again. And they winched it up, and somebody else was in it. They did this five times. All the other passengers died on impact. But these passengers were still alive. Five of them. And each time, he put somebody else in the harness. And the winch went down for the sixth time. And Arlen D. Williams didn't come up. He was the only person who died by drowning. All the other passengers had died on impact. Apart from these five. He was the one who kept giving his life. Every time. None of them negotiated. None of them bargained. They all got in the harness. They needed a savior. They lived, he died. Each one helpless. Each one needing a rescuer. Jesus came. And you're going to come into Advent season 
And he came, and it says this, to save people from their sins. In other words, you don't have to live like this. And if you know the awfulness of the, way, the things that go on in your life, you do not have to live like this. This is a Christian's testimony. This is a Christian's story. That they throw themselves at a savior because they realize how weak and helpless. How do you come? You come like a child. Weak, helpless, dependable, needing a savior. That's how you come to Jesus. If you, if you will not receive the kingdom of God like this, you'll never enter it. You have to give up the right to self-determination. This is the main reason why people don't want to come to Jesus. Found that time and time again. I found people who believe in Jesus, go with this, and they read the history and they know, actually he did come. He does exist. But I don't want to do that. It's his terms. In the context of this, Jesus has just spoken about a Pharisee and a tax collector. And the Pharisee comes in prayer with all his self-achievements and what he has done and how pleased he is, how much money he's given, how much he's prayed, how much he's fasted, and that he's not like this man. And this man is the tax collector. And he comes, and he comes before God, and he's helpless, hopeless, dependent, needy, and Jesus recommends the tax collector before he ever recommends the Pharisee. This is the gospel, my friends. The tax collector is honest about himself. He is honest about himself. So if he has a view of his weak and how he has acted, behaved, things that he's said and things that he's spoken, the tax collector is honest about himself. He really knows what he is like. And he knows he needs the grace of God. That's the gospel. It's good news. It's not good advice. You have to come humble, needy, dependent, But boy, do you receive life. And that's another Jesus promises. That you'll have life and have it to the full. He promises new life. It's the very heart of Christianity. Parents, you've got to give yourself away. That's the gospel, you see. You've got to give yourself away to your children. Some parents will just give them stuff. Black Friday comes, give them stuff. Give them stuff. I'll tell you, stuff will come and go and they won't remember it. You give them your time. It's the least acknowledged thing. But you know it goes a long way. And it'll last a longer time than you think. It won't be acknowledged instantly. It doesn't come like that. But do it. You don't have them very long. The lie that we tell ourselves is this. We'll have more time tomorrow. Or next month. Well, do you know this busy period is just a season. I use all these phrases. It'll, it'll slow down. Never does. Invest. invest give yourself away. Give yourself away to your children. Finally, as I finish here, Easter Sunday morning, Mary comes down to the tomb. And we hear that the stone has been rolled away from the tomb. And so the disciples run down to the tomb. They see the stone has been rolled away. And they don't know what to make of it, and they go home. But she stays there. And staying in that place, Jesus reveals himself, resurrected, reveals himself to her. And he gives her this message. Tell them, tell my disciples, I am returning to my father and your father. And your father. All you guys who ran away, all you guys who never showed up, 
all you guys who said didn't know him, didn't want to be part of that, all of you guys who are out of it, you said you'd be there, but you weren't. You never did. I'm going to, your, to my father and your father. He is still your father. In spite of all you've done and all you've behaved, don't you worry, he is still your father. That's a great line, isn't it? You've got to know God as father. He is a good, good father. All right, thank you very much. And God bless you guys.